Welcome to Tech Central's Impact Series. I'm Duncan McLeod. Now, if you're new to our shows, do check us out on YouTube at youtube.com slash techcentral. There you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and get all our latest shows, including this one, Impact Series, as well as TC Daily and Everything PC. Now, I'm thrilled to have Sasha Sauer, the CEO, or the head, what is it, CEO of, head Audi, of South Audi South Africa? Head of Audi South Africa. Would be sufficient. All right. Uh, in our studio now to talk about uh, one of our favorite subjects here at Tech Central, and that's electric vehicles. And I was very fortunate, uh, thanks to Audi, in the last week or so, to uh, drive one of your very luxurious um, SUVs, the uh, 55 e-tron 55 S-Line. Lovely vehicle, I must tell you. Um, it felt like driving on a cloud. Um, is that the sort of reaction you're getting from your, your customers who, 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 are, who are buying these vehicles? Or what's the sort of view out there? Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. Oh, it's a pleasure, uh, it's thank a pleasure you. Uh, to, to have this possibility today here with you. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, that is very much what, what uh, uh, relates to my own experience, but also what, what I get as a feedback mm-hmm. uh, when people drive these cars for the first time, or even if they had a little bit of a previous experience with other models or other brands, um, that they feel that this car is a, a very mature and uh, very well-advanced uh, piece of technology and it's quite a stunning, uh, I reckon you, you can attest to that, quite a stunning piece of e- engineering, actually. Yes, very, quite, quite, in, quite incredible. And uh, I, I, I was amazed with the, the review, the, um, not the review mirror, the, uh, the wing mirrors, yeah. which were cameras, yeah. uh, uh, which then uh, pr- projected the, uh, yeah. the view onto the, onto the side of the door. It's quite an interesting uh, development. I've never seen that in a, in a vehicle before. How have customers uh, adapted to that? Yeah, I think that takes a little bit of time. You may have noticed that probably uh, yourself uh, to mm. adapt to the virtual mirrors, uh, yes. as we call them. Uh, and because your your viewing angle is somewhat a little bit lower because you need to look at the inside of the little screens which you have inside the door panels uh, to see what's going on behind you. But uh, it, once you get adapted to it, which takes a, a little, uh, I'll say probably anything between a day or two, right. uh, um, then I think you really have a big benefit because they are not... Um, they're, they're not so sensitive to rain or in, in Europe probably to snow or anything, mm. to fog, to mist. Because you always have a crystal clear picture. And uh, the, the funny thing is also that uh, for the first time ever, the passenger sees exactly what the driver sees because mm. you don't have that angle anymore of a mirror. So you Good really point. see what, what, the, what the driver sees when he looks into the mirror. Good point. And I also yeah. like the fact that when you put the indicator on, it would warn you it would go red if there was a... A vehicle obstructing the lane next to you, for example, which Ex- is a, exactly that, a yeah. very good safety uh, uh, a mechanism. But uh, I, I'm convinced the, the EV is the future of, of the car. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a wonderful experience and brings many advantages to motoring. Uh, but are you finding consumers generally here in South Africa are warming to the idea, or are you finding there's still quite a bit of reluctance uh, amongst the buying public about going electric, given some of the South African conditions, like, for example, load shedding? Yeah, you're very right, and I think we need to be uh, we need to be realistic about the situation here in South Africa. Um, I think there are we, we're literally starting from zero as an industry where we are with this technology. Um, there are challenges, uh, no doubt about that, in this uh, country, but I think none of them is really insurmountable. I think mm-hmm. they, they can be overcome, um, and I mean, most likely, I will always be uh, confronted with the load shedding issue, and uh, that is something we need to talk about uh, for sure. Mm. Uh, but I think load shedding is a concept here in South Africa, which South Africans, being very resilient people, uh, have learned to live with over the past couple of years and to always make a plan. That's what I learned. What South 
South Africans are very capable of to always make a plan to be flexible. And I think everyone has learned to live around it and with load shedding and make a plan around it. So we don't find ourselves in a situation where our PC or our batteries of the, the, the uh, iPhone or your tablet computer would run flat without mm-hmm. any electricity. So you always would charge them in the right time and you work your schedule around the load shedding schedule typically. So that isn't really the big uh, topic, especially uh, when you consider that typically these modern cars have a range of anything between 350 and 450 kilometers already, depending on your drive style and the conditions therein. But that means if you were to commute, let's say, 50 kilometers a day, you don't have to charge them every single day. Yes. You basically top them up when you come home and you leave your home in the next morning, even if you had load shedding during the night, but it will always be full in the very next morning. So I think we need to put facts and figures into that equation and to talk more based on facts and figures rather than emotions. And load shedding being a very emotional topic Mm -hmm. for many South Africans, I know that. And I had my own experience with that. But I think um, since um, the technology is very advanced and you can make a plan around it and you can charge your car um, at home typically as well as in public spaces, there isn't really a big concern. Uh, I'm not sure how you actually experienced, you know, driving the car for a couple of days, if that was really a topic for you. Not really. I, I, I didn't drive it for very long, but mm. uh, no, I didn't. Um, and I guess you can just drive to an area or to a suburb where there's an EV station that isn't currently mm. affected by load shedding. Uh, so, yeah, you're right. South Africans are an ingenious lot. They'll, they'll get around some of these challenges. But uh, they also have concerns, other concerns about, uh, about EVs. And I'd like to get, that in, get into that in some detail later in this discussion. Um, and maybe you can put South Africans' concerns uh, to rest um, uh, because there are a few of them. Let's talk first about um, Audi's EV journey so far. When, when did Audi release its first electric vehicle, and um, what are your what, what's the prognosis look like? Uh, have you? Uh, many motoring companies have said by X date we're going to stop manufacturing mm. uh, internal combustion engines. Has Audi made a similar forecast and commitment? Yeah, I think that is uh, something which Audi is very proud of. Uh, we publicly uh, committed ourselves as a global company, as a global player. Uh, to only actually launch EV cars in the future, and um, that date being from 2026 onwards, Audi is going to only launch EV cars on the global market. So any new car launch will then be an EV car launch, which doesn't mean that we're going to stop by 2026 manufacturing on and selling ICE engine, combustion engine cars. Sure. Uh, but anything which is uh, in the market by that time will gradually phase out over the next, say, seven to eight years, uh, normal product life cycle into the 2030s, and I would say that probably specifically here in South Africa, we're going to see the last ice combustion engine car being sold from uh, the Audi brand, probably somewhere around 2033, 2034, depending on stock levels and availability, obviously. Mm -hmm. But gradually, the uh, combustion engines uh, will phase out, and so will the EV cars pick up over time, gradually, step by step. And yes, that's a global commitment of the Audi brand, 2026. That means in our business that is literally around the corner. So there's a lot of things to be done to Mm. be prepared for uh, from our side because our business is a very complex business and we need to bear our consumers in mind, obviously. Uh, We need to take them on the journey with us to educate them in the right way, to tell them and to give them the right reasons to believe and the facts and figures uh, and to, you know, position ourselves correctly and commit ourselves in the right way in the public space. Mm-hmm. 2026 is just around the corner, but just to clarify what you've you've said there, 2026 will be you will not make any further announcements of new 
internal combustion engine vehicles, but models that have already been announced, you'll continue to manufacture those for a further period into the 2030s. That's exactly, uh, that's exactly right. So anything which is in the market uh, by 2026 will obviously be sold until you know, uh, the such a uh, life cycle of that product comes to an end. Uh, that could mean in an extreme case that a car was just launched, let's say beginning of 2026, it yep. still has a t- uh, seven to eight year life cycle. So that car would, uh, you know, phased out by 2033, 2034, somewhere mm-hmm. around that time. Okay. Okay. So Sasha, give us a flavor of what's coming from Audi in the EV space. Are you going to retool all of your existing vehicles to become EV equivalents, if you like? Uh, what's coming down the road and what can South African Audi fans look forward to? Yeah, very interesting question, and I get that a lot. Uh, obviously, people are very interested in what's coming next, what's the next big thing. Um, what I can tell you definitely is that over the years in the, into the future, we will see the whole and entire portfolio to become electric. Audi has committed itself mm-hmm. to be a, an electric car company only. Uh, so you can expect, uh, generally speaking, that the entire portfolio will be electrified in the future. Mm-hmm. Now, when we launched uh, our EV range uh, at the beginning of this year on the 22nd of February, uh, we launched a whole fleet of cars already to show and demonstrate a clear commitment to this, to this te- technology, but also to this country. And um, when we launched this car, we also committed ourselves to launch at least a new car every, near, every year from now on. So that means you're going to see a new car next year. You're going to see another new car being added to the portfolio okay. in 2024. You will probably see another car in 2025 and so on thereafter and uh, it also means that of course you're going to see some cars in different segments with different body styles you're going to see some sedan cars in the future you're going to see more SUVs which are very popular here in this country and I I'm very confident and I'm very uh, positive about the future when it comes to this yeah I've Mm -hmm. seen some exciting new products in uh, Munich and in Germany recently during a business trip and uh, I, have, uh, I have no uh, worries about the future when it comes to uh, our business. Right, right. And what sort of conversations are you having with your customers? Uh, you have people coming into your dealerships looking, I'm sure, at these e-tron vehicles. Uh, what, are they, what, what questions are they asking? Are they excited about EVs? What, what are your customers telling you here in South Africa? Well, you would be surprised to hear that most of the customers we interact with, and some of them we have uh, um, met ourselves with the management team already during some preview sessions, which we had late last year, uh, before the actual launch of the car, when we interacted with these uh, individuals who, who, who were interested in our, in our cars and in the technology. They are highly knowledgeable, uh, highly educated about the technology. They know uh, sometimes a great deal about the technology, Many of them have, in fact, uh, gone off the grid uh, at home. So they have installed power walls, they have installed mm-hmm. inverters, they have installed solar panels at their home. Some of them, of course, run with generators also as a backup uh, a possibility at home. And they know a great deal about electric cars. So they are very knowledgeable. And we were, I must uh, admit that honestly, we were qu- quite surprised to to experience that because mm-hmm. we thought we really have to educate everyone from, from the start but it is not really uh, correct to assume that. Now, many people have a, a great deal of knowledge. And when they come to the dealership, they know exactly what they're looking for. They know their range. They know their they, uh, commuting distance every day. 
so they know what they what what they need yeah? but they still want also that kind of security and safety net around them to know where can i charge the car how does it work how does it work precisely at home what comes with the car can you show me the charger etc cetera, etc cetera. what about the warranty of the car what about the warranty of the battery what is the the, the life expectancy of the battery all these questions are obviously right. very new to us very new to the consumers very new to our dealer and retail partners obviously but very relevant. It must be nice having enthusiasts as customers, people who, I mean, these early adopters, I guess, they, we can, you could call them um, tech-savvy. Uh, they, they know your brand intimately already when they walk into the, into the dealership, but uh, it but must make the conversation in one way challenging, but in another way rewarding for Audi. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's really fascinating to interact with some of these individuals, and there were... Uh, I must say, most of them were really uh, uh, blown away by, by, by the performance of the cars, obviously, sure. which is very instantaneously, and I'm sure you've uh, yeah, experienced yeah, that yeah. yourself while driving the car. Uh, some of them are simply very much interested in the design, the concept of the car. Some are more on the technolog technological side of mm -hmm. the car. They're going to look at connectivity, features of the car, uh, the digital possibilities of the car, uh, but also, you know, the, the, the engineering side of the car, little solutions of the car. Uh, and uh, that is really an interesting conversation to have with these people. But you're right, most of them are early adopters and they're very much petrol heads, yes. yeah, you, you, and, and, and still they are very much into EV cars already. So that's quite interesting to that's observe. Interesting to hear petrol heads. There's a lot of learning mm. in it uh, for us as well, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, interesting to hear that petrol heads are interested in EVs because you kind of think, well, actually, no, they might want to stick with uh, the older tech yeah. uh, because of the sound and you know, everything else associated with it. But you say petrol heads are interested in EVs now as well. Well, yeah, they are, definitely. We have some former uh, South African uh, race drivers who uh, we can yeah. call one of our customers. Uh, you may have uh, heard of him or you may hear of him very soon, I guess. Let's, uh, let's see what's coming right. uh, our way on that side. But um, yes, it's true. And I consider myself a petrol head and still I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely excited about electric cars. The yeah. way they deliver their performance, the, the way they perform on the road. Uh, and still, they're so smooth and so, uh, uh, how shall I say, so convincing mm. uh, and giving you so much comfort and, uh, uh, um, how shall I put that, so much... Um, it's, I mean, the performance when you, when you push, put your foot down, it's just yeah, incredible. Yeah, this it's instantaneous just this delivery of continuous the talk is... Linear the talk delivery all the way up. Yeah. Is, it's just amazing. And yeah. I think that the driving experience is just a different one, but mm. still very exciting to a normal combustion engine car. Yeah. And many people have said, once you've driven an electric car, you don't want to drive anything else anymore. And I must say, I can, I, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. Yeah? It, it really catches you. It does, yeah. yeah. The performance is wonderful, but at the same time, you, you, you feel bad about doing it because you're worried about the battery life and you think, you know, I'm, I'm going to enjoy this bit of performance now and, and going fast down this particular road, but I might pay for it down the line in, in uh, having to find a recharging station sooner than I might have liked. And I suppose you, as an EV driver, you have to balance that and know what... What, uh, what you can do with the car, and if you're driving a long distance and uh, you don't want to have to recharge all the time, then you're just going to have to take your foot off the, off the pedal a little bit, which uh, sometimes, I guess, can be challenging if you like the performance of the vehicle. Yeah, I hear you, <laughs> and I think uh, I can relate to that too. But I think um, what, what a consumer must, must uh, understand mm. and, and get used to, and we need to learn about it also, is the driving pattern and driving style and the driving behavior when you're driving an electric car will change and you will have to adapt a little bit over time to, mm. to, to that different technology. 
it's uh, responding far more sensitive to your driving style uh, and uh, probably also the conditions the car's uh, operated in. Uh, so it means you're going to uh, see a, a faster drop in the range if you, you know, really give it a go. Of course, yeah. On the other hand, if you take it easy, you also see a, a, a stronger increase again in the range back uh, uh, um, in, in your display in front of you. So you always, uh, uh, let's say, up to date what the car is capable of in terms yeah. of the range, what you have left and when you need to recharge. Uh, when it comes to recharging, we've uh, uh, partnered with Crit Cars and set up some chargers already in the country. We uh, promised at the beginning of the year um, when we announced the partnership that Audi is going to invest in some 70 different uh, uh, charge points across the country. And we were the first one actually to invest into DC 150 kilowatt chargers, which are currently the fastest chargers in the country. So really state-of-the-art technology, I would say. Uh, we have st installed four of them already. We have st installed another five 80 kilowatt chargers, which our customers can use. Mm -hmm. um, some of them cover the major roads uh, along N1, N2, N3, and N4. Uh, some of them in Richmond, for example, we even uh, found a solution with a back backup battery because there was simply not enough uh, electricity supply from um, the mm. public uh, grid. Well. So we have installed that charger, an 80 kilowatt uh, DC charger, uh, with the support of a backup battery just to cover certain gaps uh, for long-distance travel of our customers. So it is technically possible to do long-distance traveling already today. You can go all the way from Johannesburg here down to Cape Town and back again. Yeah. Um, there are no concerns about that, actually. Yeah. And those 150 kilowatt chargers, how, how long would it take to, uh, to top up uh, an, an SUV from Audi um, from flat? Yeah, well, let's assume the car you've driven has got, mm. let's make it easy, it's not correct uh, 100%, it's uh, got a 95 kilowatt uh, hour battery, but let's assume 100 kilowatt sure. hour, uh, and let's assume it was really, uh, you know, zero charge in right. the battery, which is also a very theoretical assumption, uh, then it takes anything between 30 to 40 minutes and you'll completely charge the That's car incredible. again. So I would say mm. on a long distance uh, journey and on a long distance trip, road trip, that is, you know, the time it takes you to have a smoke, to, to see the washrooms, have a coffee, you know, stretch out a little bit and you're good to go and the car is, you know, fully mm -hmm. charged again. Mm -hmm. And you won't, as you say, it won't be completely flat when you get to that. Exactly. To yeah. that uh, charge point. Do you think that South Africa, uh, the industry is rolling out EV charge points quickly enough? Um, and what, what do you expect over the next few years? How rapidly are we going to have to see the de deployment of charging stations across the country to, to match the anticipated uh, sales of EVs in this market? Well, uh, when it comes to the, char the number of charging at the moment in the country, actually, we could argue that we have enough chargers in the country already, okay. considering the car park. Yeah? If you compare that with European levels, for example, we are probably even ahead of Europe, uh, but it's just because it's a very large country here, and people like to do um, road trips that we need to add uh, some more chargers. So the number of the chargers is not necessarily the main concern. Uh, the main concern at the moment is charging time and therefore the power of the chargers and okay. the charger output of the power output of a charger, which we need to consider more. Um, currently, as we speak, we have anything between 350 and 400 chargers already installed in, that in the country as a public charging network. Um, Audi has contributed 33 chargers with some 70 uh, plug points, so you can charge at any given time 70 cars in parallel in theory at the same time. And uh, I can tell you that we're busy uh, establishing another, let's say, 30 to 40 charges. 
at the moment. We are in the rollout right now while we speak. So we, we are trying to commit ourselves in a way that um, we, we make a, me a meaningful impact um, for, for consumers here and that we really address the range anxiety, which is still there, along with, you know, where can I charge the car along the way from A to B. Yeah. Um, so the network is actually quite rapidly expanding, to answer your question very clearly. Uh, it is bigger than most people uh, would think. Mm -hmm. uh, if you start a conversation and you, you show people, you know, the actual charging network on a map, uh, there, are, there are internet sites where you can check on uh, the nearest charger. The car comes, of course, with uh, built-in technology where you can find your, your nearest charger and different options around you or along the way. So only then people realize that actually there are far more chargers than they would think. Mm -hmm. And many people have probably not realized that maybe sometimes they pass a charger every day on the way and to they work. Don't and yeah, yeah. They don't realize it's there. They don't realize that there is a charger, yeah. actually. I mean, you've mentioned uh, Joburg Cape Town. I presume Joburg Durban is well well covered already. It is covered as, as well. You're right. As an EV driver, though, if I wanted to take perhaps uh, the long route to Cape Town through Uppington and the Northern Cape, um, is there infrastructure out there? Can you Can you be adventurous in your driving, or do you still need to stick to the main routes if you if you have an EV? Yeah, for now, you obviously always have to plan ahead. That's mm -hmm. a little bit also the learning which, uh, and the adaptation which is needed as an EV driver. You will have to plan a little bit ahead where to stop, how far you can get with a certain charge, right. and, and where to, to stop for, for a charge. Um, I think that is a little bit different for the time being. Yeah? Generally speaking, of course, if you plan your trip carefully and a little bit ahead, and you're using your app, you're using the features of the car, you can you know, travel anywhere, mm -hmm. basically. You just need to be uh, considerate of the range, your driving style, and you know the the nearest charge points uh, to your to your uh, location. Then I would say you could go, generally speaking, anywhere. Yeah, you know? but uh, that'll change in time, and uh, I suppose in a few years from now, every small town along the route will have some sort of EV charging infrastructure, right? Yeah, I, I think it's going to happen, and if you consider the broader context we're in. Um, today we've got mainly a car park made of combustion engine cars, but that is going to develop and, and uh, over time in the sense that more and more EV cars will add to this car park. So the engines, the Caltex, the shells of this world will have to rethink their business model as well. And for sure we know that there is some talks going on on their levels as well about the future strategy and how to cope with EV cars in the future and whether they would not have to add in terms of their portfolio also you know, to cater for EV uh, customers in the future. So if you were to consider that every uh, petrol station today, every garage would also install some charges, then you had a, a fully set up uh, charging network immediately. Mm -hmm. And that's going to happen. I'm quite sure and convinced of that. It's a question of the next three to five years. Sure. You mentioned your, your customers are tech savvy. Uh, these, these early adopters um, do their research. Um, I presume a lot of them are looking at, uh, at, at solar uh, at home to charge their vehicles or at the office where they're parked in the daytime. And that's free fuel for your car. Um, are you, do you advise uh, your customers at all on, on solar installations, battery installations at home and at the office and how they can charge their vehicles that isn't tied to the ESCOM grid or, or is the... Um, or the uh, EV stations that have been deployed around the country? Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, uh, my observation is that many of our customers, obviously not all of them, have gone off the grid. Yeah, that was very clear from our first interactions. They 
as I mentioned before, they know a great deal about how much uh, energy they're actually yeah. uh, producing per day, how much they have access, how much they could feed into a car, how much they could use for the car, <laughs> how, how far it would you know carry them, and how much they could save on fuel, etc. All these questions were coming up, and mm. they were not coming up from our side, but actually you know were addressed and thrown at us from the, the consumer side. Uh, but you're right. I mean, we, we are um, taking care about our customers when they are interested in buying one of our products. We have set up uh, a service provider network. So they will do a home check, what we call a home check, to establish the precise individual situation at home okay. in order to find out what is the right solution in order to charge the car at home, what is feasible, technically speaking, and what is not possible mm-hmm. uh, in order to also manage expectations uh, of a customer and to be uh, you know, transparent and clear about that upfront. Mm-hmm. Uh, they will then also, you know, uh, get a voucher from us to make changes at home to install a charger if 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 they want to. Uh, every car comes with a connect charger, as we call them. So uh, it's not uh, like the car uh, would come like many of our modern products. You buy a device and you have to buy a separate cable, or you know, in order to be able to charge it later on. We mm-hmm. don't do anything like that. So the car comes fully equipped. You can charge the car anywhere at home at a public space. It has all the cables, all the technology. Uh, but we also support our customers in setting uh, everything up at home with a external service provider. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So we've covered a lot of the uh, the issues or the concerns that South Africans might have about uh, buying an EV in South Africa. Uh, the last one I just wanted to touch on, and you you did mention it at the beginning of our discussion, was um, concerns about batteries. Mm-hmm. Uh, these these cars have very expensive, large lithium-ion batteries in them. Um, what sort of warranties does how do you provide to customers around those batteries and uh, how do you alleviate customer concerns? Because at the moment, EVs, I mean, their prices haven't come down into the sort of mass market yet. They're still largely a luxury item, um, uh, uh, quite costly. And I I think there's a consumer worry that I might have to replace the batteries in five years. How much additional cost is that going to be? Um, How how does Audi help customers alleviate their concerns around battery life? Mm Yeah, it's a very relevant question and which gets asked almost every single time, obviously, mm. and I think it's it's understandable. Sure. Uh, and uh, we, we as an OEM, we have to commit ourselves clearly about that and need to be very uh, open about that. I think first, uh, first of all, I would like to address a certain misconception which is there sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking about a battery, which is correct, but to get it straight, it's not one piece of a battery. Okay. It's different modules, so which means you could access, if something was broken, if something was not working correctly, if you had an accident, let's say, of a minor, uh, hopefully only a minor one, you could access and uh, change and exchange individual modules. So oh. we're not talking always about exchanging the entire you know, part of the car. Mm-hmm. You can you know, address that very, uh, uh, in a fo- very focused way, so to speak. That's, I think, very important to understand. I didn't know that. Okay. First of all, so uh, that means uh, you know you're far more flexible, and it doesn't necessarily mean that uh, always a huge cost is you know related to replacing a battery. Um, when it comes to the warranty, we we sell our products with an eight-year warranty for the battery, and uh, I think that demonstrates quite a confidence already in our product. We know from you know experience. Meanwhile, I mean we're selling these cars for a couple of years in many markets around the world, and you know in, in the thousands. Meanwhile. Uh, that uh, the battery life is even higher than we anticipated and than we expected. Mm-hmm. So that's a positive development. Obviously, the life expectancy of a battery depends on many factors. It, it, it depends on when you charge, how much you charge, where you operate the car and which conditions. I mean, if you consider a battery being operated in Norway, 
in you know uh, very cold winters mm. it's probably very different to when the cars being operated down here in south africa where we have you know um far more uh batteries uh, don't like heat do they <laughs> well they, they don't like extreme temperatures mm. i would say either way of the okay. scale you know they don't like extreme cold they don't like extreme he- uh, uh, hot weather uh, but anything in between i think it's quite moderate around here it can get very hot in south africa of course in certain areas of the country yeah. but i would call it a rather a a favorable climate for a battery yeah but also depends you know of course on your drive style and how you how you operate your car but the, the the battery is engineered to last at least, let's say, anything between 480 and 640,000 kilometers. Wow. Now, if you consider a 25,000 kilometer range, uh, an average range, if you if you were driving 25,000 kilometers a year, that would give you anything between 12 to 15 years life cycle and expectancy for that battery. That's so I good. think from that side, we should be really covered. Uh, and I think the battery will will last uh, way longer than most people in our segment would keep their cars yes. typically. Yes. So I think that is a lot of built-in uh, 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 security for a customer, a lot of uh, uh, safety um, when it comes to uh, life expectancy. So I don't see any issues there. And if there are, then you can address certain modules and access them. Mm-hmm. Oh, fantastic, and the, and the, there's the warranty there as well. If uh, there's an eight-year warranty, so I, I think there's. Uh, I, I think we really tried hard to to take away any hassle or any concern a customer may have. Yeah. Uh, the car comes with a warranty and a service maintenance plan as standard. People can of course opt out if they don't want that. Uh, the, the battery itself comes with an eight-year warranty, so I think we 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 covered uh, the the public charging network. The car comes with a with an RFIQ card, so you can charge at any uh, uh, Critcast-operated uh, charger out there. It's even preloaded with a small amount of money, so you don't have to even worry to charge uh, the, the, the card uh, at first. So you just uh, you know drive off the, the dealership and you're good to charge, you're good to go. You can uh, charge and top up the car at home. So we're taking care of uh, the home installation and the checkup uh, at, at your home. So we, we try to address any potential concern a consumer may have when faced with this new technology because we know something new always is of concern at first and people are a little bit critical uh, at first and very cautious also. You mentioned your partnership with, with uh, grid cars. Uh, out of interest, I mean, there, there are other EV solutions in the market, some of them deployed by your competitors in the market. As an owner of an Audi, can I go to those other EV stations and use them in South Africa? Or are we going to end up with a situation in the country where you can only charge certain EV stations? I mean, we've got in the banking industry, we've got the SaaS switch network where where uh, where you can go and draw money from any ATM, no matter if it's your bank or some other bank. Um, are we going to have a situation like SaaS switch in South Africa, where maybe you pay a little bit more to to power up your car from a from a rival's EV station? Uh, what's the what are the agreements that are starting to be formed in the industry in that regard? Yeah, I think in this regard, uh, also this um, this business is in an infancy. Uh, let's face it. Sure. Uh, currently, there is grid cars in the market. Uh, they own basically a monopoly when it comes to public charging network. Most of the charges which you will see outside uh, anywhere in the country are operated uh, by grid cars who provide the backbone to it and uh, who service and maintain them, uh, who make sure that they are online at any given time, etc., uh, etc. Um, and um, this is the only operator at the moment. So we have partnered with them, 
But having said that, there are other players arising and it's becoming more and more obvious that this is a future business model. And yeah. uh, I mentioned before Shell, Caltex, uh, you know, the, mm. the, the current petrol station and, and gar garage uh, operators, they also start thinking about their future business model. Um, having said that, uh, no matter what the charges are branded with at the moment, you see some of our uh, charges which we help to install are branded with an Audi logo. But it doesn't mean that uh, that uh, that only Audi customers can charge their car. Mm -hmm. So they they welcome any brand, any model. So uh, I don't want to you know name any other competitors here, but sure. they can all be charged at our Audi branded stations, and we welcome them there absolutely okay. because we view it as a a collaborative uh, initiative. Still, yeah, even if that sounds uh, a little bit weird at first, but I think. If we want to develop this technology in this market and if we want to develop the EV sector, yeah. we need to take this uh, on board and we also need to go uh, this route and uh, see our, uh, let's say, social uh, commitment here as well and say, okay, if we install something, then it's for everyone. Mm -hmm. yeah, and that's exactly what we did. No matter what they're branded, yeah, you can always charge another brand. Is, is that how it works car. in other countries, in Europe, for example? It does typically. It does. Yeah, you can charge your 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 car. Uh, you've got your card. The mm -hmm. car will be uh, you know usable in any different charger, uh, and then you pay as you go. Uh, the next big thing will obviously be to um, connect that to uh, credit cards, also to be able to pay yeah. with your credit card. That's a little bit more on the tricky side with the banking system in the back uh, on the backbone, and um, you know. Uh, Data need to be managed very uh, carefully uh, when it comes to this. So, uh, but that is definitely the next technology step on, yeah. on the charging side to also make them uh, credit card and banking card ready. Right, right, right. So t let's talk a little bit about um, after-sales service in the EV space. Uh, um, you're more of an expert on this than I am, um, but I understand that uh, um, electric vehicles don't need as much maintenance as an, an, in a vehicle with an internal combustion engine, don't have to be serviced as often. Uh, what, what happens in the back end? What happens in Audi's uh, service network? Uh, you obviously have to uh, train employees who work in that space. Uh, is it a big, big project involved in doing this? Um, just talk us through some of what's involved in the after-sales aspect of servicing EVs. Yeah, that it in itself is an entire ecosystem which we could now, you know, dive into for probably an hour on, okay. on its own already <laughs> because it, it is it is right what what you're saying. Uh, the car first and foremost does require or doesn't require as much maintenance and service as an internal combustion engine car. And I think if you look at the car technology-wise, it becomes very obvious. Uh, just to name a very obvious thing, it doesn't need oil anymore. When you mm -hmm. don't need oil, you don't need the filters anymore. Yeah? There are not so many moving parts. You have less friction. You have less wear and tear on the car. Uh, you have, in total, less components as opposed to a combustion engine car. Um, and um, I think there is, generally speaking, then far less of a wear and tear to be observed in the car, which means you don't have to service the car that often. Um, you don't have to service um, the car regularly. Every two years, that's about it, unless you experience any problems in between. And uh, once you do service the car, there is less uh, parts needed, obviously, uh, and it's cheaper. Yeah? Mm. So it's more convenient, it's cheaper again. I mean, the electricity is already cheaper than the fuel. You save on the, on, on the, on the service and maintenance side as well over the years, uh, and um, there might be, depending on your driving style again, a little bit more 
wear and tear to be expected on the tire side of the business because this car, these cars typically have a lot of torque. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you give it a go every single time, of course, <laughs> you might expect a little bit more wear and tear on the tire side. I'd be in the tire uh, shop every week, I suspect. But, <laughs> yeah. But other than that, yeah. it's, it's actually less of a concern. Um, on uh, the education side and yes. the skill side of our network, of course, we had to train uh, our dealers. We started off with 10 dealers in the country. They're all trained uh, and they had to be trained if they wanted to you know, operate that franchise and that business for us. So we made sure they're educated, they're educated people. Uh, that's also important because we have high voltage systems in the car. Mm. So it's also out of safety and security for you know, the personnel working on the car that we need to train and uh, educate them properly because, because it could have devastating uh, uh, effect on, on an individual if they touch the wrong parts and don't know how to mm. operate the car safely. Having said that, uh, that also brought up the topic of uh, first responders to us because we thought like, okay, what if things go wrong? What if the car is involved in an accident? And uh, who is then going to attend to the car? Mm-hmm. And how about these people? Do they actually know how to operate the car? How, do they know how to approach a car? Do they know how to attend to a fire in an electric car? What to do and what better not to do? So we, we, we started investigating, uh, investigating that space a little bit. And I'm glad to, to say that we were the first ones to pick that up actually in, in, in the market. Uh, and in this country, and uh, by doing so, we uh, partnered and uh, we were the first to actually train and educate 70 first responders uh, in, in the entire country who went into their municipalities and then went on training their peers again to make everyone aware how to safely operate a car mm-hmm. if it's involved in a crash and an accident, what to do, what to look out for, how to operate it, and uh, yeah, the main to-dos and not-to-dos. So that's what we did uh, on our own cost, um, just to also spread the news and the knowledge uh, in an entirely different uh, environment, so to speak, Mm -hmm. which we thought is important and need to be addressed as well. So outside of our real yeah, own yeah. network. Okay. But given, given how, how the servicing needs of these vehicles change from compared to ICE vehicles, um, what does that mean for your traditional motor plan? Does it look radically different now? Of course, the, the, the calculation of a motor plan will look different from uh, the calculation of a motor plan for a, a combustion engine mm-hmm. car. You know, uh, again, there are no sp- spark plugs. There are no filters. There's no oil filter. There's no oil needed. needed. Uh, but uh, that's, that's factored in. So these service maintenance plans come cheaper, mm-hmm. yeah, uh, for sure, as opposed to uh, an equivalent uh, ICE engine car. Um, but other than that, there's no, no real magic behind it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? I mean, you need to, you need to calculate uh, what the car might uh, consume and need over a five-year period. Uh, that's how we sell the car. Um, our offer includes a five-year service maintenance plan, hassle-free for the customer again. I have to emphasize customer can opt out uh, nowadays and say, I don't want that service and maintenance plan. I'm going to pay individually each and every service. Fine, you can do so. But uh, our initial offer includes everything for the next five years, including a full-fledged warranty on mm-hmm. the entire car. And financing options around EVs, are they the same as ICE vehicles or are there differences there as well? Well, we are still in the process of uh, working out the right offer there because we observed at the beginning, and that's a learning for us as well, most of our customers so far are what we refer to as cash customers. 
uh, they either pay really in cash or they have their own private financing options available. Okay. Uh, but uh, going forward, I think it is very relevant that we also look into um, a product like a, a, a guaranteed future value product, for example, in order to allow for uh, 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 financing over a three or four year period uh, with the choice for the co consumer at the end of the three or four year period, whichever suits the most or even two years, uh, to hand the car back at a guaranteed future value uh, um, value, or uh, carry on financing it, or you know swap it for another car and financing that car again. So it's maximum okay. built-in flexibility. Okay, I want to talk about a, a subject that's perhaps um, become a, quite a contentious in the South African market, and that's the um, the taxes that are uh, levied on EVs. And I know many industry players, including industry lobby groups and associations, have been. Uh, speaking out quite um, vocally on this subject, in particularly in the last few months, but uh, there's there's a lot of concern that EVs are taxed in South Africa fairly significantly higher than internal combustion engine vehicles. What is your view on this current situation, and in your view, what needs to happen? Mm. Yeah, and in, in fact, it's true. Uh, to, to make that statement up front. Unfortunately, uh, as we speak, we still see a higher taxation. Uh, um, on an EV car as compared to an ICE combustion engine car. Uh, just to give you a clear example, an ICE combustion engine car is being imported uh, at a tax or duty rate, shall I say, of 18%. An EV car comes into the country being uh, taxed on the duty level at 25%. Now, that is not the only difference, but because you have taxes on taxes on taxes mm. in this country and VAT and ad valorem taxes, that makes that seven percentage points of a difference on the duty level quite a substantial difference when it comes to the retail level for the consumer. So that is a concern for us because in most other countries in the world, obviously, uh, governments have adopted an approach where they incentivize the uh, adoption of EV cars and uh, the sales and the buying of EV cars uh, at at the moment in this country, it's the opposite, unfortunately, still. But having said that, we know that uh, the minister, ministry, uh, Minister Patel, for example, himself is working on a green paper, has issued a green paper to, um, to work on um, a fast adoption rate of EV cars in the future, which can only be achieved if prices are being brought down. The government has come to the party or need to come to the party in order to lower duty and taxation rates and find other ways and mechanisms of incentivizing the EV cars. Mm -hmm. that's, that's, that's very clear. So yeah. There have been some suggestions that maybe uh, EV cars should just have the same rules or the same taxes as, as, as ICE vehicles. Um, but in many markets around the world, EVs are given greater tax incentives than Correct. ICE vehicles uh, because of uh, you know, the move to uh, reduce carbon emissions, etc., etc. In Audi, South Africa's view, what should we be seeing in South Africa in terms of um, incentives related to EVs? Well, yeah, I mean, if, if I could come up with a wish list, I had a lot of ideas, obviously, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think you're right. First and foremost, we should aim at at, at least an equalization mm -hmm. on, on the duty level. That would be probably the, be the bare minimum. You, you can't explain to people why they should buy an EV car and why this is the future. And then, you know, uh, from a government point of view, mm -hmm. you're charging them higher. So I think at least an equalization there would already be a, a, a good step forward and a step in the right direction. 
Uh, there are countries in the world which have other mechanisms in place. Of course, there are kickbacks which really, uh, you know, cash payouts to the customer mm. uh, uh, once they bought the car and registered the car and handed in all the paperwork. But I think you mentioned one very important aspect. It's not only about the consumer itself. Of course, he, the consumer always wants to buy a car at the cheapest possible rate. Yeah, Let's face that. Mm-hmm. But there's also a broader context to it, which is that this government and this country has committed itself as well and signed the Paris Climate Agreement. So there is also an international expectation on, on South Africa as a country to you know, achieve their uh, global CO2 uh, emissions and targets. Mm. And you, you need to start somewhere, and that is in the automotive industry uh, definitely true, but it holds true also in other industry. And I had a nice chat this morning with a gentleman uh, I went to breakfast with, and he's in real estate, mm-hmm. uh, and we were very clear that also buildings need to become more efficient, for example, right? At the moment, we, we're not really thinking about the buildings and the efficiency of buildings, talking solar panels, but you know how you power these buildings, how you insulate these buildings, uh, how you operate that. So... Uh, from that perspective, it's a, a far broader uh, uh, discussion to be to be have. Are you confident, though, that we're going to see some movement in, in on the taxation issue in South Africa in the near term? Are you confident in your discussions with government and industry discussions with government that that you're being listened to and that something's going to happen? Definitely, the government and the governmental bodies are listening. Definitely, yeah. I think it's not an easy decision. I think it's a major impact also on the government and on the budget side. So they right. need to get the finance, uh, the financing side of it right as well. And I understand that and it's appreciated. However, I also think, you know, being on the other side uh, of the business, uh, we need to move a little bit faster. Uh, it's it's uh, taking a little bit too long. I think we can accelerate a little bit. I think uh, all the facts and figures have been exchanged. The data is on the table uh, I think the the future is electric. Everyone has hopefully understood that well. Meanwhile, and again, if you look at it from a different angle and a little bit broader, uh, then you need to establish also South Africa has a production hub, an international production hub. We are exporting cars into various parts of this uh, uh, of this planet, and currently we are exporting ice combustion engines. Mm. Now, but if more and more markets around the world are closing ice uh, combustion engines or the markets for ice combustion engines, let's, let's take UK, uh, 2030, they're not going to allow any more uh, registration of ice combustion engine cars. The question then arises, where do you uh, export your cars to? Mm. So it, it brings with it unavoidably the question and the discussion point, what are we going to, as an industry, what are we going to produce in the future in South Africa? to maintain the 5 to 6% GDP contribution, which the sector currently contributes to annual GDP, to uh, ensure all the employment and all the jobs which are created in the entire uh, automotive industry in South Africa. This is so, an urgent discussion that needs to happen now, not in 2030 when the deadline hits. Uh, very we right. have to make the decisions now because these factories have to be retooled. These are things that take years, right? That, that's absolutely right, Duncan, and that's why, I'm, why I emphasize we need to speed up a little bit. It might feel like, yeah, 2030, that's a long, long away, but again, in our, in our business, <laughs> it's literally around the corner. That's a car life cycle from now, and we're there, mm-hmm. 2030. And we cannot make the decision and take the changes in 2030. You're very right. It needs a lot of investment, and it needs a lot of preparation, and it needs economies of scale. That's why you're also talking about export and the local market. So yeah. we, need, we need to uh, um, develop both uh, elements in parallel. 
and we need to stimulate local sales and adoption of EV cars also in order to maintain production hubs in order to be able to export in the future again. And the decisions must be taken now because you need to prepare the product portfolio, a whole factory, mm-hmm. you need to invest and get going. More urgency needed. Uh, yeah. Before we wrap, and this has been a fascinating discussion, by the way, Sasha, but before we wrap, I'm going to ask you to put on, look into your crystal ball uh, and tell me what the mobility market is going to look like in South Africa beyond just electric. Um, what, what do you think, how is the, I mean, we've, we've seen so many um, uh, uh, predictions about flying taxis and, and uh, you know, the way um, mobility is just going to be revolutionized. We've seen the rise of e-bikes, for example, um, which have become very popular. Um, but where do you think mobility is going and what, what is it going to look like in the South African context in the next, say, eight years? Yeah, I think um, uh, we, we must emphasize we look at it uh, from a South African uh, point of view and in, in, put it in a South African context because, you know, electric scooters and bikes is good and nice, but uh, I'm living in South Africa and I'm not sure if I would be riding a electric scooter through the city of Johannesburg at <laughs> nighttime, let's say. Sure. Uh, so I think there are some specific uh, situations here and challenges in the market which uh, in this country which we need to consider when we talk about that. But when we think about the future, I see it uh, definitely electric. I think that is a given. I Meanwhile, it's an uh, electric future and an electric mobility. But I see it uh, highly connected yeah, with uh, lots of digital uh, elements attached to the car, to the device. The car becomes more of a device, mm-hmm. a, a true mobile device, if you like, a mobility device. Um, it's the it, ultimate gadget, really. <laughs> it becomes an ultimate gadget. It, 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 it's going to offer you additional space and an additional freedom. Mm. And having said that, it's probably also attached to autonomous driving, the next big thing in my mind. You know, once we see 5G uh, technology uh, uh, being available throughout the country and in all countries, we're going to see more autonomous driving possibilities arise. And I think that is the ultimate um, uh, future mobility concept for now. Mm -hmm. Electric car, which drives autonomously, is uh, uh, 360 degree connected to its outside world. Uh, And I think that is really a fascinating view and a fascinating thought from my point of view, because it's going to offer you completely um, a different uh, possibility when driving the car or being driven in your car. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you can relax, you can have meetings, you can be productive suddenly being in your car and the car does the job. Yeah? So I think that is an amazing future. That is a very exciting future in my mind and that's a future I'm really looking uh, forward to. Sasha, this has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you so much for coming into the, into the Tech Central studio. Sasha Sauer is head of Audi South Africa. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Duncan. It was a pleasure uh, talking with you and exchanging about exciting ideas, exciting technology and the future of mobility in South Africa. Thanks very much. Thank you.